0: honor and privilege to come and share with you guys this morning. Um, I've been here once before and uh, it's, it's just really exciting to share about this journey that we've been on and to hopefully kind of clue you in on it. And uh, and seriously, if you have a chance before you leave, if if you know somebody in that area, Hamilton County up there in the north side of India. If you know somebody that that I should connect with, somebody that is a common friend that maybe we can meet up, grab coffee or talk to about this. We're very missional in our focus in that. We want to try to connect people with God's plan for their life. And so uh, or there's an arch spot on there if there's not any kind of obligation. If you want to just get on an email list for updates so you can be praying about what we're doing and then just kind of get updates and follow along with this uh, process. We find it exciting just because it's, it's new, it's challenging, and this is a long journey. But along the way, when you kind of look back in retrospect, you see all the places where God has been at work in your life to guide you to, the, to where you're at. Um, I want to share just briefly about something that I've called being a daring disciple a daring disciple. You know, as a church planter, a person who God's called to start churches, I'll be the first one to tell you that, you know, God did not say, go in all the world and plant churches. The thing that he told his disciples was to go into all the world and to make disciples. God is passionate about disciples, people who follow him wholeheartedly, and he's passionate about people who make new disciples you know, we've, uh, we've all played like Simon says, right. You know, where you have to listen carefully to what the person's saying and do exactly what they say and, and really tune into what they're saying. And we do that. Well, if we're playing, you know, in a Sunday school or uh, kid's camp kind of a game, but how well do we do that with the things that God tells us to do? So if God really said to go into all the world and make disciples, what does that look like for us? And how good are we at responding to that? I could use as an example here. I have my two daughters here. I have Chloe and Emily, my oldest daughter, who's 10. If I were to tell Chloe, Chloe, go clean your room and vacuum the hall. And if she were to say, OK, Dad. And then maybe a couple hours later in the afternoon, I check with her. And, and she comes in and says, hey, Dad, guess what? I just wanted to let you know. I, I heard what you said. And, and it, was, you know, it was very important to me. As a matter of fact, it, I, I memorized what you told me. You said, go and clean your room. And vacuum the hallway. And uh, not only did I memorize it, but it was important enough that I thought it would be worth putting onto a shirt. So I got this iron on and I ironed it on the shirt. It says, clean your room and vacuum the hall. And so now I can wear the shirt and I can think about what you're saying all the time when I do it. And, uh, you know, I even kind of texted a few of my friends and we're going to kind of get a little group together and just sort of study out what it is you were meaning when you said that, you know, and maybe even get into the Greek of what that meant, you know, to clean your room and to vacuum the hall but all the while ignoring exactly what it is that I said to do. But yet, how often do we do that with what God says? We're good at studying things out and wearing it as slogans on our shirt or stickers that we slap on our car, but do we do that? What does it mean to make a disciple? First of all, we're, we're all disciples of something. That's a, something that's a foundational ground rule here. We're all disciples of something. We're all followers, right? You know, so for me, it would be like a Mac, products you know I'm a disciple of Apple products and so I have a lot of that stuff and I follow whether if they have a new product I'm reading about it and following it when they have a keynote address I'm going to listen to it uh I'm a di- we're all disciples of bands uh, I'm a disciple of you too I just saw them in concert uh this past year the 360 tour amazing tour amazing tour but I'm a disciple of that we're followers of things in life and if we are not if we don't disciple people if we don't create disciples and our culture will ...in the absence of what we do. Because our culture is constantly fighting for our affections... ...to make new disciples, to make new followers. But what Jesus says is for us to go into the world... ...and make followers disciples of him. So what does that mean? I want to talk about three quick marks of what a disciple is... ...so we can make sure we're on the same page here. And I want to talk about this process of disciple-making. So real quick, first thing disciples do. If we're looking at the marks of a disciple... ...disciples are doers. They join God in his mission without looking back. Luke chapter 9, 56 to 62. I want to read this passage. So they, the disciples, they went on to another village. And as they were walking along, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you no matter where you go. This is the passionate verbal committer. I'm your follower, God. I'm yours. But Jesus replied, foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests. But I, the son of man, have no home of my own, not even a place to lay my head. He said to another first person, come be my disciple. The man agreed, but he said, Lord, first let me return home and bury my father. Jesus replied, let those who are spiritually dead care for their own dead. Your duty is to go and preach the coming of the kingdom of God. Another said, yes, Lord, I will follow you. But first let me say goodbye to my family. Jesus told him, anyone who puts a hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Now, on the surface, that sounds rather harsh, right? I mean, Jesus is saying, hey, you want to be my follower? You don't even have time to bury your father. You don't have time to say goodbye to your family. It's all or nothing. So is Jesus saying, okay, we need to abandon all of our family responsibilities and stuff? No, that's not what he was saying. What he was trying to do is point out that the mark of a disciple is first and foremost above anything else in life. We can't truly be a disciple if we don't place it above higher than anything else, Going back to some other illustrations, another thing I would be a disciple or follower of is uh, Star Wars. You know, the original Star Wars, right? The original three, not the new stuff. Um, so I, I like Star Wars trivia and culture and all that geeky stuff. And uh, but I just met somebody uh, a month or two ago who's actually younger than I am, but he dwarfs me when it comes to being a Star Wars fan. You know, he's not just seen the movies and seen all the fanboy films, but he's read all the other books outside and the Clone Wars and plays the game. If it has to do with Star Wars, he's all about it. And if you were to try to compare him and I in terms of who's a bigger disciple, he would eclipse me because he has placed that on a much higher pedestal. I would be kind of what would be considered more of a casual fan compared to him. And what Jesus is saying is, we are not to be fans A disciple is not a fan. A disciple is a sold-out follower, someone who puts God's will and work above anything else in life. So disciples do. Second mark of a disciple is disciples follow. They follow in the footsteps of their master. Luke chapter 14, 27. Very simple. Jesus said, you cannot be my disciple if you do not carry your own cross and follow me. Jesus said, if you want to do what I do, you have to follow in my footsteps. You have to pattern your life after my life. Disciples are followers. You see, when the rabbis would would pick out followers, they were picking out people to be their disciples who could, in essence, carry on their teachings, could pattern their life after that rabbi, that teacher. And so they were looking for the best of the best. They were looking for the brightest individuals who could be their disciples. It's interesting then, isn't it, that when Jesus went and chose his disciples, he didn't go to the temples or the synagogue. He didn't go to the highest places of education or the place of greatest influence and culture. He chose his disciples by walking along the beach and seeing fishermen or seeing tax collectors. You see, these men who were out there fishing these were men who got overlooked by other rabbis who were choosing their disciples. As young Hebrew men, they were all brought up in the Torah and they were all taught the scriptures, but only the best and the brightest were chosen to be the disciples of the rabbis. So those who weren't then went home and began to apply their family trade. So when Jesus came along and picked average everyday people and said come and be my disciples be my followers what he was saying is you know i think you have what it takes to follow me to be my disciple you can do what i do and that same call is for all of us today we don't have to have this long list of qualifications to be a disciple of god The qualification is just being willing to follow God. One of the the, uh, encouragements or uh, benedictions for a disciple in that day in the Jewish culture was, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. And in that culture, what that meant was that that disciple was following so closely behind their rabbi in the dusty streets of Israel and the deserts that they were covered in the dust of the rabbi because they were following so closely behind. That's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus is that we're following so closely behind him. They were covered in his dust. We are right on his heels. Disciples, second, they, they, first they do, they follow, and third, they reproduce. And this is key because this is one of the areas that we tend to lose it in the church today, if we're going to be honest here. It's easy to do what Jesus tells us to do, to follow him. But ultimately, what it comes down to is being reproducing disciples. Matthew 28, 19, God said, go and make disciples of all nations. He told his disciples, now you go and make some new disciples. Don't just take what you have been given and keep it yourself, but take it and share it and make new disciples. Think about it, if there's something that we're really passionate about, we want to share it, right? You know, For me, it's some kind of new website or service. Uh, I'm a geek, so I'm always on all the computer boards, and I'm reading Mashable and Engadget and this and that. So when I find a new product, a new software, some kind of new tech gadget, it makes me excited enough that I want to share about it. I want to tell everybody, hey, have you heard about this service? It's amazing. You've got to try it out. If there's a new restaurant that opens up in town, and we go there, and they have amazing food, Great atmosphere, really, really cheap prices, which is important, right? We want to tell other people, you've got to go try this place out. It's the bomb. You really have got to be there. We're passionate about the things that we're excited about. So if we've been given this life-changing message, we should then take it and want to share it with everybody we have that we know. Disciples, they are doers, they are followers, but most importantly, they reproduce themselves in others. They make new disciples. And this is a key point here when it comes to making new disciples. Because the, honestly, that, those first two steps, being a doer and follower, these are the kind of things that, that we're hearing a lot in our messages and when we read the Bible and all, And and those tend to fall in that first category of the person who, like Chloe, kind of has the T-shirts and the stickers and the books, and they do all the things, but they don't reproduce. That that first couple steps are easy. It's that next step. So when it comes to disciple making, and this is an important point to remember, disciples are not found or made in safe places. Disciples are not found or made in the safe places. If we're going to make new disciples of God, it's going to mean us rolling up our sleeves and getting our hands dirty. When Jesus came, he spoke in the temple, but he spent his time with the people. And he was right there in the midst of them. When it comes to making disciples, they're not made in the safe places. God calls us to an adventure to continually move outside of our comfort zones with his love to a world that is largely not aware of it. In Matthew 5, 14, Jesus said, you are the light of the world. We've heard that verse, right? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Jesus Notice what he says here, Matthew 5, 14. You are the light of the world. He didn't say, okay, since you're the light of the world, shine brighter and brighter. He never even just, he never even gave us the command to shine at all. The shining and the brightness and the, the, the depth of how far our light goes, we don't control that. Jesus said, if you are my follower, if you are my disciple, you are already a shining light. You are already bright. Your responsibility is to take that light into the darkness, to the places that need it most. Our greatest significance as lights in this world is found in the darkness and not the light. If we were to take this candle here, and if we were going to take it into a lighting store where every light is on, or if you walk through those sections like at Lowe's or Home Depot or in the lighting section where it's like you have to wear sunglasses because every light's on, right? If you were to take that candle and walk through that part of the store, it would have no significance, no notice whatsoever, because it is a light among other lights. But you take that same light down to an area that's been devastated by a hurricane and the power's out and there's no lights anywhere, And you have that one light in a dark room and people are drawn to it. It has incredible significance. It has incredible value because even a small light can make a huge impact in a dark room. And our greatest significance as lights in this world is taking that light into the dark places, the place where it needs it most. So when it comes to that, that idea of taking the light into the darkness. That's where the issue of evangelism comes up, right? And so this would be the point where you would kind of expect me to start to hammer on my Bible and say, you need to be out there handing out tracts and sharing your faith, and you need to be this salt and light in your culture. And yes, we need to be salt and light in our culture, but when it comes to evangelism, that's kind of the word that sort of gets us a little bit uncomfortable, right? That means in our minds, sometimes pushing or trying to fit in this spiritual topic into a conversation where it really doesn't fit, or it means you're trying to share these scripture verses with people who don't really seem receptive to what you're saying. And this is a principle that if you're going to grasp anything from this message, this is an important one because this was, this single-handedly changed my view, my understanding of what evangelism was, and especially within the context of where we're at, planning a new church. This was huge for us. And that principle is this people will often accept you before they accept Christ. When you're making disciples, people will often accept you before they will accept Christ. Now, I'm not saying anything heretical here. I'm not asking them to accept you as their Savior for their life. But I'm saying this, that when it comes to sharing your faith, being willing to invest in a life and to make a friend will go so far and will open up doors for you to share your faith in incredible ways. How did Jesus make disciples? I love looking through the story in the Gospels, and you see all the different ways that he used enticing language and curiosity to win people over. John one thirty nine in, in that passage there, I love the story. So Jesus and the disciples, or the the disciples were following John the Baptist, right? And they'd been following him while he's in the desert and while he's at the Jordan. And he's saying, repent, be baptized. And he had attracted these disciples, these followers. And finally, Jesus comes. He's baptized. Heaven's open. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. John the Baptist says, okay, my time's over. This is the man you need to be following now. And he tells his disciples, okay, stop following me. Follow this guy right here. And the disciples then, they, I mean, they'd never met this guy. So they're kind of following from a distance. And, you know, this story doesn't exactly say this in the Bible, but I could sort of picture what happened here, right? So they're sort of following, kind of talking amongst themselves. Well, John said we need to follow him. What do we do? You talk to him. No, you talk to him. And Jesus turns around and, in essence, says, yes, can I help you? And the disciples at that time just they kind of stutter and stammer and just said, "Uh, Where are you staying? which is a profound question to ask somebody who's going to be the future savior of the world, right? Hey, where are you staying? You got a hotel somewhere? What's up? And I love about Jesus that he never answered them with a direct question. He enticed them and said, come and see. When it comes to sharing our faith, we'll often get a little bit nervous about, what if I don't have all the answers and what if I don't know what to say to the person? Some of the best things we can do when making disciples and sharing our faith is use Gia's come-and-see approach. If somebody asks us that tough question, we can say, you know what, let's take that journey together. I've started some Bible studies with individuals purely based on that, you know, where we've just had spiritual conversations that oftentimes start with the question, hey, where are you at on your, in this spiritual journey in life? And if somebody tells me they're searching or they don't know or they've had a background in church and that, um, my response would be, hey, you know, would you be open to just kind of, taking a little journey with me, maybe through the book of John, and we can just kind of go through it together. It's that come-and-see approach that allows somebody to come alongside you on this journey. Jesus, Matthew 5, 19. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. He used curious phrases that spoke in their language and enticed them. He used on-the-job training. He told his disciples to go out and to make disciples, and he sent them out, gasp, without even sending them to seminary or disciple-making 101. They didn't know what they were doing, and they were sent out to make disciples. And then, of course, they come back, and they had a few mess-ups. You know, They were excited, hey, we did this and this, but then you know we had some other problems, right? So we were trying to cast out demons like you did, but then there were these demons here, and they just weren't coming out. And Jesus used on-the-job training, hey, well, these are the kind that only comes out with prayer and fasting. He didn't have to have them be completely prepared and have disciple-making 101, 102 and had the certificate hanging on the wall before they went out and did it. He just said, go and do it. So don't wait. If I could challenge you, don't wait to feel like you have to be prepared and completely educated in order to start going out there and making disciples. If you have some of the same qualifications that the disciples had, you're going to be just okay because they were a bunch of fishermen, tax collectors, average everyday guys who had more mistakes than they did wins, recorded in the Gospels. And yet Jesus equipped them to be the seed that started a movement that has spanned thousands of years and has affected millions of people. So in conclusion, as we're talking about the lost and these people that need to be reached with the message of the gospel. My last challenge would be in this. We talk a lot about the harvest, the lost, and it's important for us in a church like this to pray for those who don't know God. So I'm sure you have a lot of people through your school, your work, your friends who don't know God, and you probably spend a lot of time praying for them, and that's good. We should be praying for those who don't know God, that God would soften their heart. But what the Bible said is not that we need to pray for the lost, for the harvest, as it's called. But he said, pray for the workers in the harvest. He said, don't pray for the harvest. Pray for the laborers. The harvest, Jesus said, is ripe and ready to harvest. When using the analogy that was so applicable in that time, he said, these wheat fields are so ready to be harvested. For the the farmer to go out there and want to put more fertilizer or more water or do all these different things for the harvest, it's too much because the harvest is already ready. What is lacking is the laborers. And today that's what's lacking. And so as we pray for our lost friends and family, let's also pray that God allows us to step into the gap and to be those laborers to go out in the harvest. That's one of the things that we're doing with this church, with Imagine Church. We felt God has called us to this this area, Hamilton County, fast-growing area, Westfield in particular, has tripled in size in the last 10 years. Hamilton County is one of the top 20 fastest-growing counties in the United States right now. Big, growing area, and there are so many people who are not being reached by the churches that are there. And sure, the response is, you know, do we really need more churches? And it's true, there are churches in Hamilton County, and there are some great churches that are doing some amazing things. But historically and statistically, new churches reach new people by taking the message and conveying it in completely different ways. And the simple fact of the matter is we need way more churches than we have, way more healthy churches, and we need that just to be able to connect with these people through relationships. So our call, my call, you know, yes, I'm a church planner and I'll claim and own that label. But first and foremost, I'm a disciple maker. God is placed us where we're at in that community to develop relationships. And then out of those relationships, sooner or later, people begin to accept me. And then after they begin to accept me, then as I have the opportunity to live out my faith in everyday practical ways, soon they'll accept my Christ. And then after they accept Christ... They first become a doer, and they respond by doing. Then they begin to follow Jesus. And then they become a disciple by beginning to reproduce in others. That's our goal. Our goal is not that first generation of believers, but the second and the third, and the people who are impacted well beyond that first relationship. That's the journey we're on. I would ask that you pray for us during this process, because it's, it's challenging. We've made this our mission field. This is the place where God has placed us, and we see ourselves very much like a missionary in Westfield. We're a suburban missionary, if you will. We're right there in the suburbs, connecting the gospel with people who need it desperately. And you know what? You guys are exactly the same thing where you're at. You may not be full-time at it like me, but, you know, the call is still there on your life. When Jesus said, "'Go into all the world and make disciples,' He was talking to you, too. He wasn't just talking to pastors and missionaries. You were called to make disciples. You were called to take that light into the darkness in the places that need it most and to just shine bright, and people will be drawn to that light. If I could pray for you and over you as we wrap up here. Lord, I thank you for... This call you've placed on our life to be and to make disciples. I ask God that you would equip every single person under the sound of my voice here this morning. You would equip and ordain them as disciple-making disciples. Followers of you that create new followers. Lord, that out of the boldness of their heart, they would begin to live out their faith in average, everyday ways in the places that they already are, that they would take that light and find their greatest significance out in the darkness, shining bright among friends and family and people who need to hear this message that we have. Lord, we're humbled, we're honored that you would take such an important, life-changing message and entrust it to average, everyday people like us. So, God, we commit to you this morning to take that light into the darkness to make disciples and followers of you, in Jesus' name, Amen. Fred, hey, why don't you keep your eyes closed for a second? Um,
1: just as Brad was talking, what kept coming to my mind um, actually was a picture in my mind um, of one of my neighbors, who, in my mind, is an unlikely follower of Jesus. They're not a follower of Jesus. It seems like, in my mind, they're probably far away from that. But I couldn't seem to shake that person's picture from the my mental screen and um, I'm going to ask you just take a minute and ask that maybe God might put somebody on your screen um, maybe somebody in your relationship world maybe some in your neighborhood somebody maybe it's a family member maybe it's somebody that may be close to following Jesus maybe but maybe somebody who is an unlikely disciple just like the disciples where they were unlikely, unlikely choices. And just uh, lock that picture in your mind for a second. Let that, let that sit on your screen. Uh, take about 30 seconds to see if a picture or a name pops up. And then just kind of following up what Brad said, and maybe maybe it's not even a person. Maybe you just think of the environment you're going to be. Maybe it's your school when you're going to go to school in a few weeks. But, you know, Jesus said, go, make disciples. And um, just on the count of three, if you're willing to say this, only loud enough for you to hear it. I just want you to say, I will. And what you're saying is you're saying back to Jesus, if you send me, I will go. If you, if you present an opportunity in front of me to have a conversation with that person, I will. I'm not going to force it. I'm not going to throw a Bible on their front porch and drive away. I'm not, but I will. If you say, go, Jesus, and when you give me that go moment, whether it's tomorrow, a month from now, a year from now, this afternoon, whatever, I will. All right? So with that person in mind, just say one, two, three, and just quiet enough, loud enough, only so you can hear your mouth say it, I just want you to say, I will. All right? I'm going to count to three here. Uh, One, two, three. I will. God, I pray when those go moments happen uh, that we will step into that awkward conversation, maybe uncomfortable. But yet, if it's at your appointment and you're the one who's sending us at that moment, again, whether it happens today, tomorrow, next week or next month, uh, that the I will, we've just uttered to you, will be uh, offered to you again in that moment. So that person um, may become to know more about you through what you've done in us. And we're grateful. And we ask this in your name. Amen.